welcome to PHM in Your Practice, the podcast where we explore population health management from a radiology perspective. I'm your host, Chris Hobson, and today I'm joined by Dr. McKinley Glover. Dr. Glover is Assistant Medical Director of the Massachusetts General Physicians Organization and a neuroradiologist at Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. Dr. Glover is also Vice Chair of the Population Health Management Committee of ACR's Commission on Patient and Family-Centered Care. Dr. Glover, it's a pleasure to be with you today. Thanks, Chris. From your perspective, what is population health management, otherwise known as PHM, and what role can radiology potentially play in it? So that's a great question to start with, and I think there's a lot of varying definitions, uh, which sometimes add to the challenge uh, when thinking about PHM. Uh, you know, from my perspective, um, at a high level, I believe that PHM represents a framework by which organizations make efforts to improve the quality of care uh, for patients while also assuming financial risk for both the quality and cost of that care um, that, that is provided. Uh, importantly, the PHM perspective takes into account populations, meaning that these organizations have defined populations uh, that they're assuming the risk for. And so those populations could be a population attributable to a certain health insurer. It can be a population attributable to a certain healthcare organization, or even it can be the entire population of the United States as it relates to funding for Medicare or Medicaid or the S-CHIP programs for various states. So again, it's really important to kind of understand the perspective and the level by which you're looking at various populations when understanding uh, how those populations are managed and who's really taking the lead in those efforts. You've spoken before about how uh, population health management is not necessarily uh, a tool or a new set of tools so much as it is uh, an approach to using existing tools. Can you speak a little bit more about that? Sure. I think one of the things that people often hope or expect is that there's a plug-and-play PHM tool, right? And there are some vendors out there who actually try to sell that but I have a different perspective. I believe that PHM really is a mentality uh, and a holistic approach in thinking about providing care uh, where you think about both the quality of care, but also the financial implications, not only to the patient, but to also to the larger healthcare organization and all the others who may actually be insured under the same plan. And so, there are a number of different tools, a lot of which that people are already familiar with, such as care management programs, data registries, you know, advanced health IT tools, financial reporting metrics, etc. But it's how those tools are leveraged and integrated seamlessly such that providers are able to provide care to the right patient at the right time um, and not providing excess care or care that is um, not for patients that are not likely to benefit from it. And so I think that's an important distinction when thinking about PHM. And I think that's also what's great is that you don't have to have advanced, uh, you know, software um, or significant budgets to employ PHM, although there typically are some startup costs usually related to changing culture and practices. It's interesting. Now, at the top, I mentioned that one of your roles is with the Massachusetts General Physicians Organization. I, I was wondering um, your, uh, if you could tell us a little bit about your role with that organization as it relates to specialty PHM strategy. Yeah, so population health management traditionally has really been housed within primary care. 
Um, and a lot of that has to do with the role of the primary care physician being uh, a quarterback, um, as it were, uh, for coordinating care. And so a lot of the quality and financial metrics were traditionally linked to the primary care physician. And so as population health management efforts uh, broadly have progressed, there has been a need for thinking about how specialists influence both the cost and quality of care, uh, which I think makes sense, uh, although it's challenging when it actually comes down to how do you attribute uh, cost, cost and quality when multiple providers are involved, and that's just the matrix way in which health healthcare is provided today. Uh, but in my role at Mass General, we've, I've been asked to really help think about and strategize how we can engage specialists in utilizing some of the PHM toolkit, if you will, that we've developed at Mass General. Uh, one way to think about um, value-based payment models is that they incentivize healthcare providers to improve healthcare quality while also mitigating costs uh, via shared financial risk. Can you please talk a little bit about the interplay between PHM and value-based payment models? Right, Chris. So I think, uh, as you mentioned, value-based payment models, in, in my mind, are really just a tool uh, which, to a large degree, was actually developed and driven by external payers uh, to get providers and provider organizations to assume some risk uh, for both the quantity, cost, and quality of care provided. And, you know, if you take a historical perspective, it, it makes sense. So traditionally, healthcare in the United States was fee for service, and providers really had no skin in the game as it related to quality of care other than the general ethos of providers wanting to provide good care. Uh, but there really weren't great metrics or reporting of that. And as costs escalated, uh, we transitioned to the managed care era. Um, and at that point, that was a form of population health management, but the primary driver really was cost on a per member per month basis. And the quality uh, reporting was not as sophisticated as it could be. And to a large extent, the managed care era was not as successful as it could have been. And now we're in a new era. And I believe that value-based payment models are closer to the ideal where we balance uh, the quality and cost integrating them in such a way that uh, providers do have some financial risk for both the cost and quality of care that's provided. And so Value-based payment is a way to encourage organizations to think about population health management. Um, it is only one tool, and it's an imperfect or imprecise tool, but that's the best that we have right now. But I would not be surprised that in another 10, 15, 20 years, we're talking about a new era of how large healthcare organizations and payers are thinking about the interplay between cost and quality of care. You mentioned that you all participate in PHM at Massachusetts General Hospital. Um, can you uh, provide a little more depth as to, to how you, you go about doing that? Sure. And I think what 
what is great about NGH is we really try to take a very high level view on population health management. And so that mentality or that belief system that we should be responsible for the cost and quality of care has driven the way we have developed a lot of infrastructure. And so, you know, there it's well known to those who are kind of in the, you know, healthcare landscape. Uh, Mass General, we have been, and we were one of the initiators of, you know, the Pioneer ACO, which really helped kick off our organizational thoughts and processes, building the infrastructure in place for PHN. And with that, now uh, we actually have a number of value-based payment models with commercial payers, as well as participating in the various Medicare um, payment programs that have value-based payments attached to them, as well as uh, state Medicaid ACO program that we initiated recently. And so we actually have populations as defined by payers for whom we're assuming the risk for cost and quality, both within you know, the Medicare, as well as Medicaid, as well as commercial spaces. But the programs that we utilize to improve the quality and reduce the cost of care run across all of the payers. So our approach is that we are payer blind as it relates to implementing the tools uh, to improve the cost or quality of care. So within that uh, PHM approach you all take, um, have, have you, it's been argued that if PHM was already in place, uh, it could make for a smoother transition to normal business after these waves of, of COVID-19 infections we've been seeing. At your institution, have you all noticed ways in which a PHM approach has, for instance, ensured better access to care? Yeah, that's a great question, Chris. And again, I believe this really comes back to thinking about PHM as an overarching framework and then leveraging various tools to achieve that goal. And I would say that uh, as a part of our kind of PHM approach or toolkit, uh, we had heavily invested at Mass General in using a variety of forms of telehealth tools uh, using both synchronous and asynchronous visit platforms, whether those be virtual um, or uh, through other means of communication. And that infrastructure was extremely critical to thinking about uh, and actually improving access to care during, uh, you know, the challenging times that related to the, you know, the COVID pandemic that we're still seeing today. Uh, so, you know, the, the investments in virtual visits and virtual consultations and you know, e-visits where patients can have follow-ups for specific encounters was really important because we had to significantly limit, you know, in-person access to the healthcare facilities due to the infection risk and due to mandates by, you know, the state and federal governments. And so um, I hope and I do believe that, you know, the PHM approach as it relates to trying to provide care at the right place, uh, which... Uh, for a lot of patients during the pandemic, really was not in the hospital, was what was maybe at their home, uh, you know, at the right time. That really was something that I believe we were successful in. Now, I think it is important to say that when you leverage these types of tools, there's always a chance, and I do believe it's, it's likely, 
that certain populations were less likely to benefit. So for example, telehealth tools may require internet access and they may require a mobile device which has, you know, uses data. Uh, you know, they may require, uh, you know, literacy or you know, certain languages being spoken. Uh, and so with that, there's always a chance that disparities do arise. But I think pushing forward, we have to think about that and make sure that we have a, bare, a vast array of tools to meet all patients kind of where they are. And I don't think we are, we're there yet, but I think we're moving in the, in the right direction. Speaking of challenges, uh, what challenges do you believe exist to radiologist participation in PHM? Well, that's an interesting question. So in some ways, I do believe radiologists, we are, by nature of our profession, already engaged in PHM. And what do I mean by that? So one component of PHM is quality of care. And even as it relates to thinking about cost of care, you know, radiologists have always played a really important role in terms of directing care that relates to follow-up of incidental findings uh, and that sort of thing. And we also play an important role on the front end in terms of recommending studies and directing care and being, uh, you know, close, close collaborators with our referring providers. Um, but at the next level, in terms of financial risk, it's been a challenge because, as I mentioned earlier, traditional PHM frameworks have largely focused on primary care. That's been the home in terms of where patients are attributed because it's easy to track, and that probably has a lot to do with it. And so... The first break point is to say, well, radiologists are already in the specialist bucket and PHM really isn't there yet in terms of thinking about attribution of patients to specialists, although that is changing a little bit uh, with various models that are coming out of, uh, you know, Medicare or the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation. And then the second challenge is that, you know, the nature of the radiologist work, it is very hard to attribute you know, cost and quality of care to a radiology group or practice when the, a lot of times the care is not, episod it's more episodic than it is being longitudinal um, for a particular radiology practice as it relates to one individual patient, although not always. And so because of that, it's been a challenge to get radiologists more engaged and at the table with their healthcare organizations or with payers in terms of thinking about strategies by which to pull radiologists in uh, as, as partners in thinking about improving the cost and quality of care, whereas oftentimes radiology is viewed as a cost center. Um, I think that's changing a little bit and hopefully um, discussions like this and the increased focus of, of PHM by, you know, the ACR will help uh, get more folks involved and interested to help push that agenda forward. Uh, Dr. Glover, although radiologists across the country aren't driving this PHM conversation, uh, what advice can you give to the average radiologist who maybe sees the value in PHM? Well, what's interesting is I do firmly believe that radiologists 
to varying degrees are already engaged in PHM, and there are a number of tools out there, and it's really just enhancing uh, that engagement a little bit, right? So, yes, for many radiologists, it may be difficult or impossible to take on risk for a defined population, uh, particularly for those practices that may be independent. But there are a number of things that radiologists can do to improve the quality and or cost or and or reduce the cost of care, uh, many of which practices are already doing. And some examples would be, uh, you know, helping, uh, collaborating with various referring providers to develop registries or developing, you know, specific radiology registries as it relates to things like lung cancer screening or breast cancer screening, et cetera. Uh, another thing would be further implementation and utilization of clinical decision support tools. You know, another one would be implementing systems to reduce unnecessary or duplicate uh, imaging. Uh, you know, one that has garnered a lot of attention and I think has a lot of value is, you know, continuing the development, enhancement, and implementation of the utilization of appropriateness criteria. And then another one is telehealth tools. I think particularly for interventional radiologists, but also for diagnostic uh, or diagnostic colleagues as well, there are increasing opportunities for the use of telehealth tools. We found that patients increasingly want to know who their radiologist is and oftentimes want to speak to them directly. And so I think we do have to think about how do we continue to leverage those tools and find a place for that uh, which currently it doesn't tend to fit within our paradigm of practice or pace. So that is something that we'll have to think about moving forward. And then I think the other piece is just continuing and increasing engagement with payers, uh, just having those discussions and seeing what the health insurers are thinking about as it relates to value-based payment, population health management, where do radiologists tie in, and I think just even asking those questions or reaching out will show a level of engagement and potentially spur new ideas or bring radiologists to the table when thinking about the next iteration of what value-based payment and or population health management uh, will be in the future. Dr. Glover, thank you so much for the enlightening conversation. Where can people find you online? So the best way to find me is on LinkedIn, McKinley Glover, MD. Uh, I can also be found on Twitter at, at Mick Glover, MD, although I have to admit I'm not as active as some of my other colleagues in radiology. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast, and thank you to our listeners. This has been PHM in Your Practice. See you next time.